0: Jewish covenantal continuity, our endurance from Abraham till today, cannot be naturally explained. It defies all logic. To be a Jew, loyally linked to Abraham, is to be a living, walking miracle. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 52, The Tiny Chosen People. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. The photograph is the title of an article published in the journal Azure by Yossi Klein Halevi, wherein he describes how the most famous image in modern Jewish history came into being. quote: "Sometime around 10:15 on the morning of June 7, 1967, the first reservist paratroopers of Brigade 55 broke through the lion’s gate leading into the old city of Jerusalem and reached the narrow enclave of the western wall. Having just fought a fierce two-day battle in the streets of East Jerusalem, they grieved for lost friends, and grieved as well for their own lost innocence, in what for many was their first experience of combat. They leaned against the wall, some in exhaustion, some in prayer. Several wept instinctively connecting to the wall's tradition of mourning the destruction of the temple and the loss of Jewish sovereignty, precisely at the moment when Jewish sovereignty over Jerusalem had been restored. Several hours later Yitzhaki Yifat, a twenty four year old reservist about to begin medical school, reached the wall. As part of the brigade's 66th Battalion, he and his friends had fought in the Six-Day War's toughest battle, intimate combat against elite Jordanian legionnaires in the trenches of Ammunition Hill on the road to Mount Scopus. Something in their faces, perhaps a combination of exhaustion and uplift, caught the eye of news photographer David Rubinger. He lay on the ground and photographed the paratroopers, who appeared in the subsequent photograph, almost statuesque. Though the newspaper captions claimed that the paratroopers were gazing up at the wall, they were in fact standing with their backs to it, looking off into the distance at an object or a scene beyond the photograph's reach. Yifat is the center point of the photograph, and not only because he is physically positioned there. Among his friends, only Yifat's face is truly memorable. The faces around him seem to blur into his. Partly that is because he alone has removed his helmet, revealing the civilian beneath the soldiers. Yifat also allows himself to appear vulnerable, while the men around him are tight-lipped, suppressing emotion. His mouth is open, as if trying to express the ineffable. End quote. So Halevi writes, and he goes on to describe his own attempt to fully understand why this photograph has endured, why it is the most recognizable image in Israeli history. Halevi recounts how he met with Rubinger, the man who took the photo, and with Yitzhaki Fat, the man who stands at the center of the image. Ultimately, Halevi argues that this photograph inspires because it somehow captures the mystery of a tiny nation that incredibly endures, impacting the earth in ways far beyond its size, and revealing the divine being who dwells at the heart of history itself. In chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7 of Deuteronomy, Moses, in his address to the people, focuses by and large, on the substance of Jewish chosenness, the giving of the Torah, the revelation at Sinai, the obligation to obey the commandments, to preserve them, and to see them as our supreme source of wisdom and well-being. We encounter the passage known as the Shema, the commandments known today as Mezuzah, and of Tefillin, phylacteries, which we will address in tomorrow's talk. But in several sentences, Moses momentarily focuses on the reason for Israel's chosenness, why Israel was chosen. Listen carefully to what he says in Deuteronomy 7.7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all peoples. But rather because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Here, then, is why Israel was chosen, because of God's unique love for his people. What is the source of the Almighty's love? Moses here does not say, but earlier in Deuteronomy, he explains that it is founded upon God's original love for Abraham. Deuteronomy 4.36 Out of heaven he made thee to hear his voice, that he might instruct thee. And upon earth he made thee to see his great fire and thou didst hear his words out of the midst of the fire, and because he loved thy fathers and chose their seed after them and brought thee out with his presence, with his great power, out of Egypt. If the Jews are chosen to serve for all eternity as a light unto the nations and a sign of God's hand in history, it is because God, in the words of the theologian Michael Wishagrod, quote, sees the face of his beloved Abraham in each and every one of his children as a man sees the face of his beloved in the children of his union with his beloved. End quote. This aspect of Moses' message in Deuteronomy is quite clear. But there is another clause in the very same statement with which we began that ought to strike us as particularly interesting. Not because of your size, Moses says to Israel, did God choose you, for ye are the fewest of all peoples. But just a bit earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 10. Moses seems to celebrate the size of Israel, saying as follows, The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of the heavens for multitude. Which is it? Can one be struck by the size of Israel? If Israel is also incredibly small when compared to the other nations of the earth? The commentators attempt to explain this, often asserting that one of these two sentences is less than literal but perhaps both verses can be taken in tandem. Moses can marvel at Israel's size even if Israel is relatively small. For consider, Abraham lived not so many generations before, and Pharaoh made every attempt to destroy Israel, to subdue them, to murder Israel's male children, and yet Pharaoh failed. And 40 years after the Exodus, Moses stands before hundreds of thousands of his brethren. How can he not marvel at their size and at their endurance? This is what Moses seems to say again in Deuteronomy 10.22. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with seventy persons, and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heavens in multitude. Given when Abraham lived, when Jacob lived, and given the tyranny of Pharaoh, the fact that the Israelites even comprised a significant nation is a striking miracle. At the same time, Israel relative to the mighty nations of Moses' age is still small. And he is emphasizing that Israel was not chosen because of its size, but rather because of God's love for Israel. And this too, Israel's relative smallness, also marks a miracle. That such a seemingly tiny people can serve as the Almighty's anchor in his providential plan for history. As Milton Himmelfarb once wrote, Each Jew knows how thoroughly ordinary he is, yet taken together, we seem caught up in things great and inexplicable. It is almost as if we were not acting, but being acted through. The number of Jews in the world, Himmelfarb continued, is smaller than a small statistical error in the Chinese census. Yet, we remain bigger than our numbers. Big things seem to happen around us and to us, End quote. And thus, ladies and gentlemen, perhaps each of these verses, both descriptions of Israel by Moses, has relevance to our time and communicates to us profound truths today. On the one hand, Israel is indeed a tiny nation, a point to which we will return. On the other hand, given the vicissitudes of history, the existence of every Jew is a miracle. And therefore, the millions of Jews that exist today embody millions of miracles. Here I cite the Southern Christian writer Walker Percy, who once wrote, Why does no one find it remarkable that in most world cities today, there are Jews, but not one single Hittite, even though the Hittites had a great flourishing civilization, while the Jews nearby were a weak and obscure people. When one meets a Jew in New York or New Orleans or Paris or Melbourne, it is remarkable that no one considers the event remarkable. What are they doing here? But it is even more remarkable to wonder, if there are Jews here, why are there not Hittites here? Where are the Hittites? Show me one Hittite in New York City, end quote. Those are Walker Percy's words. Jewish covenantal continuity, our endurance from Abraham till today, cannot be naturally explained. It defies all logic. To be a Jew loyally linked to Abraham is to be a living, walking miracle. And what Walker Percy reminds us is that in a certain sense, the Jews are, as it were, akin to stars in the sky because, The existence of every Jew is a wonder, a hint to the divine creator, who is behind all existence, and whose hand can be discerned in history. In his memoir about his life and career, former Israeli chief rabbi, Israel Meir Lau, described how he traveled to Cuba once to seek to help the Jews that were left there, and he met with Fidel Castro. Strangely enough, Rabbi Lau writes that Castro wanted to talk about the Bible, and specifically, The fact that Moses, as we have seen, noted in Deuteronomy that Israel came to Egypt as a very small group and left in great multitudes. Castro told Rabbi Lau that he had always been bothered by the math involved in the Exodus story. If Jacob arrived in Egypt with a relatively small family, how, Castro asked Rabbi Lau, were there so many Israelites only a few generations later? Rabbi Lau, somewhat surprised, I think, that a secular communist dictator wished to engage in an exegesis of scripture, mentioned a midrash, a saying of the sages, that during these generations in Egypt, many children were born to the Israelites at once. What happened next in the conversation was even stranger. Castro took out a paper and began doing the calculations to see if the math would work out. And because Castro seemed bothered still, Rabbi Lau sought to set Castro's mind at ease, no doubt because Rabbi Lau had come to Cuba to help Jews, not to explain the Bible to Castro. And so, Rabbi Lau writes, that it was only when he showed Castro a verse that said that also a mixed multitude of non-Israelites accompanied Israel into the desert, that Castro reacted differently. Rabbi Lau writes, quote, Castro gave a sigh of relief as if I had lifted a burden of many years from his shoulders, end quote. Now, this is what Rabbi Lau writes. Ladies and gentlemen, when I first read this, I was flummoxed. What is going on here? Castro is an atheist, a Marxist. He didn't believe in the Bible. What does he care? And why would he be so relieved if an explanation not evolving a miracle could be proposed for his problem? But I think that deep down, Castro was driven to distraction by a deeper question, one which assaulted his entire worldview. How is it possible that this small Jewish people endures? How can it have flourished in different ways throughout history, ultimately returning to its land? and establishing a beacon of Jewishness and freedom in the Middle East. How can the anti-religious atheism in which Castro believed be reconciled with the mysterious story of the Jewish people? And so Castro sought a non-miraculous explanation. What Castro wanted to know was the secret of the Jews. How could it be that, as Exodus described, even as Egypt persecuted Israel, still they endured? But of course, the true answer to what was driving Castro's question, the answer that Castro, I think, wished to avoid, is that Israel's story is a miracle. That the very existence of the Jewish people today, and of modern Israel's story today, and the way that a tiny nation impacted the world throughout its history, all this is a sign of the divine, the greatest argument for God's existence in the world today. This is what Walker Percy teaches us. And yet, even Jews themselves do not always focus on the fascinating fact that is the miracle of the Jewish people. There are, however, times when, even for Jews who might have doubted the miraculous nature of the Jewish story, a flash of insight occurs. It is with this perspective that we can understand why, for all the famous photographs of statesmen in Israel's history, the most famous image of all is that of three simple soldiers standing, seemingly staring up at the newly liberated Temple Mount. The picture of the paratroopers is constantly compared to an American image, Joe Rosenthal's capturing of the moment that American Marines hoisted the Stars and Stripes aloft at Iwo Jima. In fact, however, as I noted in an article in commentary, the two images are very different. The Iwo Jima photo inspires because of an action that it illustrates. Young men working in unison to plant a flag, a tribute to all the service of the Marines, soldiers, and sailors that served in action. In Rubinger's photo, however, the emphasis is the exact opposite. What is stressed is not action, but sudden inaction. After achieving the most famous Jewish military victory in 2,000 years, the soldiers stand still. They suddenly seem to use Milton Himmelfarb's felicitous phrase, not actors, but rather acted upon. They are, as he put it, caught up in things great and inexplicable. This cuts to the heart of the magic of the image. As Yossi Klein-Halevi writes, Rubiger's image is beloved in part because, of the humility it conveys. At their moment of triumph, the conquerors are themselves conquered. The paratroopers, epitome of Zionism's new Jews, stand in gratitude before the Jewish past, suddenly realizing that they owe their existence to its persistence and longing. Rubinger's photograph catches a precise historical moment, the return of the last 2,000 years of Jewish history to the Zionist story. As one paratrooper put it, at the wall I discovered that I am a Jew, end quote. These are Halevi's words, and he further writes that, quote, the photograph continues to endure because it caught an even more profound moment in the story of Zionism, the return not only of Jewish identity, but of the Jewish God. Judaism posited a daring idea that God's power and goodness would be revealed not only in the majesty of nature, but in the messiness of history, and even more improbably, in Jewish history. The meaning of Jewish history, then, is that history has meaning. End quote. This is the miracle of the Jewish people, a tiny people that endured all persecution from the Exodus to today, a tiny people whose existence is today the greatest argument. For God. Jews themselves do not always remember this. And Alevi describes how living in Jerusalem, he often gets caught up in the annoyances of everyday life. But then he writes quote, I suddenly remember where I am. I feel myself then like one of those barefoot and wide eyed Ethiopian immigrants, silently stepping off the plane at Ben Gurion Airport into Zion. I recall, too, my father's wonder at the wall, whose fragile and improbable endurance he saw as a metaphor for the Jewish people. Like him, I ask myself what it is about this strange little people that continually finds itself at the center of international attention, repeatedly on the front lines against totalitarian forces of evil, Nazism, Soviet Communism, now Jihadism, all of which marked the Jews as their primary obstacle to achieving world domination. At those moments, Halevi writes, I feel gratitude for having found my place in this story. End quote. To ponder the incredible endurance of the Jewish people is to ponder a mystery, and to ponder this tiny people, whose impact is so far beyond its numbers, is to ponder a miracle. It calls us to gratitude and to find our own place in this story. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.